Hello and welcome to the Imagining Freedom podcast, which is focused on our rights and freedoms. I hope I'm wrong in this podcast episode. I hope that I'm just being a crazy conspiracy theorist. But sadly, I don't think I am. We seem to be racing towards the end game, the COVID end game or the New World Order end game, or both. According to the UK government's SAGE Advisory Committee, Britain could suffer 85,000 coronavirus deaths this winter in reasonable worst case scenario. And yet COVID deaths in the UK have fallen to almost zero. I've been very concerned about the flu vaccine for months. Why do some people get very seriously ill from COVID-19 or even die from it, while many others barely notice they have it? There seems to be some evidence that the flu vaccine could be triggering some sort of reaction with coronavirus to make the symptoms much more severe via a syndrome known as respiratory virus interference. I started thinking about this because I noticed that it was predominantly the older and weaker immune-compromised people who were getting the severe, deadly form of of COVID-19. And yet there were also some younger people, especially health workers, who also sometimes got the severe form of COVID. I was wondering what the connection might be. It occurred to me that hypothetically... If scientists were to conduct research into the connection between people who wore lycra and weight and fitness, they'd probably find that the lycra wearers were much slimmer and fitter than the people who didn't wear lycra. Would the government then pass a law that everyone had to wear lycra in order to stay slim and fit and to protect the NHS? It wouldn't surprise me in this day and age. But, of course, it's not the lycra that makes people slimmer and fitter. Is the fact that people who do regular aerobic exercise like cycling and running are more likely to wear lycra. This is what's known as a co-founder. Surface associations can be misleading and you have to look further to establish the true link. And this is why I started to think it might not be simply people's age and state of health that might directly put them in the high-risk category for COVID-19, but there might be another factor responsible that links all those groups. And that factor, or at least one of those factors, could be the flu vaccine, because these groups are the ones who are generally advised to take it, as well as health workers. And health workers also seem to be at high risk for the more severe form of COVID-19. Dr Judith Brown, who's a doctor of Arabic studies, not medicine, has been doing research into this issue. She spoke about it at last week's Stand Up X protest in Bristol. is that there is a definite correlation between um, COVID deaths and influenza vaccines. And if I can find that out, you can know for certain that the government knows as well. For example, there was a study in uh, Spain where a pharmacist noticed that everyone who died in his hospital had had a particular type of uh, corona uh, influenza vaccine. And then he looked at nursing homes in his region and he found that the rate of death amongst those who had influenza vaccines was 30%, but for those who hadn't had coronavirus vaccines, the rate of death was only 9%. 
which meant that the people who'd had vaccines were dying at a much faster rate. And then there was a study in America where they looked at the rate of vaccine um, amongst the population and the rate of COVID deaths. They actually compared country to country in Europe and state to state in America. And what they found was the more people that had had um, uh, influenza vaccines, the more deaths there were from COVID-19. I know a few people who've had COVID-19, but I only know a couple of people who have suffered from the severe form of COVID. Both of them are in their early 40s and they're very fit. They are regular hill runners. One of them got so ill with COVID that he almost had to go to hospital, but thankfully he rallied after three weeks and started to to improve. His fiancée described it as the scariest three weeks of her life. Both of them are fine now, thankfully. As we discussed the situation, I eventually asked them if they'd had the flu jab, and it turned out that both of them had had it last season, because one of them works in the NHS. I know this is hardly conclusive research, but I just wish that the government would look into this kind of thing further. There seems to be enough evidence of a very severe and even deadly reaction between COVID-19 and the flu vaccine for urgent research to be done before this year's flu vaccine rollout. But instead, the government is actually changing the existing legislation to facilitate the biggest rollout ever of the flu vaccine. As Dr Judith Brown says, surely the government must be aware of the potential dangers. This is when I start to wish I would wake up and find that I just had a bizarre conspiracy freakout. It would be much better to have everyone laughing at me and saying what a fool I am than what actually seems to be going on here, that the elderly and the sick in society, the ones who are less able to work, are about to be put at grave risk of their lives, knowingly. We could be about to witness one of the greatest evils of our lifetimes. It seems crazy to say this, but what do we do, ignore it? I want to tell all the elderly people I know, don't take the flu vaccine. But even if they were to listen to me, What if I'm wrong? I just think that scientists should be urgently looking into this and that this year's flu vaccine should be delayed until more research is done. I recently voiced my concerns to a friend who's in her early 50s in reasonably good health, but she's so nervous about COVID that she's been thinking of getting the flu vaccine. When we first discussed it, she said there was no way she was going to have it. But then she watched something on the TV and now she says she is going to have it. The government is planning to bring in more emergency measures to facilitate the rollout of the biggest flu vaccination programme ever and to facilitate the rollout of the COVID vaccine. It's circulating a public consultation on proposed changes to the Human Medicines Regulations 2012. The government says the exercise is intended to support the effective rollout of a COVID-19 vaccine and other treatments and the upscaling of the influenza vaccination programme in the UK. The paper says that the government wants to engage directly with specific stakeholders that they have identified. It seems to me that democracy is just being pushed aside here 
and we are far down the road of decrees and diktats. By stakeholders, are they referring to the people and companies that stand to profit or benefit financially from the distribution of these vaccines? I would certainly urge as many people as possible to respond to this consultation before the expiry date of September 18th. And if you have time, it's really important to read the government's introductory document about it, which actually gave me the chills. The phrase armed services or armed forces was mentioned four times in the document. They are clearly gearing up for another emergency situation where people will be clamouring for mass vaccinations. The EU is mentioned several times because Britain officially leaves the EU at the end of this year. But this should not be a distraction. I suspect that the EU will be bringing in similar measures. The document says... From January 2021, the UK's licensing authority will have new powers to license all medicines, including vaccines. However, if there is a compelling case on public health grounds for using a vaccine before it is given a product licence, given the nature of the threat we face, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation may take the very unusual step of advising the UK government to use a tested unlicensed vaccine against COVID-19 and we need to make sure that the right legislative measures are in place to deal with that scenario. A COVID-19 vaccine would only be authorised in this way if the UK's licensing authority was satisfied that there is sufficient evidence to demonstrate the safety, quality and efficacy of the vaccine. Unlicensed does not mean untested. This temporary authorisation process exists to, to address the possibility that, in certain situations of public health need, the licensing authority may consider that the balance of risk and benefit to patients justifies the temporary supply of the relevant vaccine pending the issue of a product licence. They're making an elaborate effort here to reassure people who may very understandably have fears about the mass distribution of an unlicensed vaccine. They repeatedly stress that unlicensed does not mean untested. This is intended to put our minds at rest and I'm going to present another hypothetical argument. If I was to send a product to a lab to test whether it contained toxic substances, once the lab tested it, I could then say that it had been tested. But until I receive the results of that test and until those results show that the product does not contain toxins, I won't be able to license my product as safe. That is the difference between untested and unlicensed. The document continues. If a suitable COVID-19 vaccine candidate with strong supporting evidence of safety, quality and efficacy became available before the end of the transition period, but it had not yet been licensed by the European Medicines Agency, Regulation 174 could be used to enable temporary UK-only deployment. This idea of supporting evidence of safety would not put my mind at rest one bit. I think we want more than supporting evidence where our health is at stake. We want facts and rigorous test results. 
The next point regards civil liability and immunity, and this is extremely concerning, as it would make the vaccine producers and distributors exempt from most types of prosecution if the vaccine was to have serious or even deadly side effects. The document says that according to an EU directive, marketing authorisation holders manufacturers and health professionals are not subject to civil or administrative liability for any consequences resulting from the use of an unauthorised medicinal product or from the use of a product otherwise than in accordance with its authorisation when such use is by the licensing authority in response to, among other things, the spread of pathogens. While the directive expressly protects product manufacturers of both licensed and unlicensed products, it is silent about pharmaceutical companies whose placing on the market of an unlicensed product is authorised by the licensing authority under the directive powers. It is, however, appropriate to treat the person bringing an unlicensed medicinal product to market in no worse a way than the manufacturer who is producing the product on their behalf. This would be entirely consistent with the EU law equal treatment principle that like circumstances should be treated alike unless differential treatment is objectively justified. My interpretation of this mouthful is that pharmaceutical companies who place an unlicensed product on the market should be immune from civil liability due to the equal treatment principle. I would argue that it should be the other way round. Neither the manufacturers nor the marketers nor the producers of health products should be immune from civil liability, regardless of whether there is a pandemic. The document then goes on to say that there is some civil liability protection under the Consumer Protection Act, but that this is very limited. It says... If there is an intrinsic problem with the nature of the product that renders it unsafe the producer has to be able to show that the objective state of the scientific and technical knowledge at the time it was put on the market, including the most advanced level of such knowledge, was not such as to enable that defect to be discovered. The section, when protection is lost, actually makes me feel sick because it goes to such lengths to twist words to fit a particular outcome. And that outcome appears to be that if there is a very serious breach, an adjudicator must be brought in and it recommends that that adjudicator be another pharmaceutical company because the alternative would be the man or woman in the street. And according to the consultation document, the man or woman in the street would not be sufficiently qualified to understand the issue. The whole thing absolutely stinks. The third point concerns the proposed expansion to the workforce eligible to administer vaccines. And again, it refers to the expanded flu vaccination programme planned for this winter. Millions more could receive the flu vaccine than received it last year. So there is a need to ensure the workforce comprises enough people to deliver these additional vaccinations. There is a possibility that both the flu vaccine and the COVID-19 vaccine will be delivered at the same time. And we need to make sure that in this scenario, there is sufficient workforce to allow for this. This seems to be seriously worrying. Some people in government must know what this really means. It's potentially an extermination programme. 
Section 4 is about the promotion of vaccines. The document says... Currently, there is a prohibition on promoting an unlicensed medicine to healthcare professionals and the public. The UK government is proposing that this prohibition is disapplied to allow advertising of any temporarily authorised products under Regulation 174, including a COVID-19 vaccine. The disapplications would be restricted to advertising as part of a campaign approved by ministers. I wonder if that would apply to ministers who have shares in the vaccine companies concerned and would permit the supplier to participate in any public or healthcare professional information campaign relating to the use of the medicine. Overall, the amendments proposed will ensure that the use of the vaccine and treatments that have been temporarily authorised for sale or supply can be promoted as part of national campaigns in each of the four countries of the UK. Point 5 regards the provisions for the wholesale dealing of vaccines. It says, We are considering providing an exemption from the need for a wholesale dealer's licence to allow the swift and safe transfer of COVID-19 and flu vaccines and other medicines for the treatment of pandemic disease in response to patient need. The exemption would be available for NHS organisations, NHS contracted service providers and the medical services of the armed forces only. The deadline for the consultation is the 18th September. I'm going to say something that I know is a conspiracy theory. It's not fact, but it's something that I suspect is likely to happen. I hope I'm wrong. I think that as soon as the rollout of the flu vaccine starts, people will start to get severely ill and to die from COVID-19 symptoms. The blame will be put on the protesters and those who have refused to wear masks, and then more draconian restrictions will be brought in. If I'm right, this is a devilish plan. It's something that would have made Machiavelli squirm. The idea of mass exterminations seems unthinkable. But it seems to me that this could actually be about to unfold. As I've said, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that the government proves me wrong by holding back the rollout of the flu vaccine pending urgent research into the effects of the flu vaccine on COVID-19. If you've enjoyed listening to my podcast, please subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. If you'd like to make a comment, download a transcript or view the show notes, go to imaginingfreedom.co.uk. Thanks for listening.